a post-American order. Might the new non-West internationalism actually be a good thing? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for Central America is based on an economic model on foreign investment and foreign profit, on the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. There's not going to be a war by Russia to conquer the United States. There's not going to be a war by China to conquer the United States. No country is going to conquer the United States. The United States is destroying itself because of the size of its military. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Empires come and inevitably empires go. The players may change, but the goals remain the same. Where once it was the British, the French, the Germans, the Belgians, the Austro-Hungarians, and the Ottomans competing for the planet, today the image is the U.S., Russia, and China seeking global domination. What this simplistic arrangement overlooks is that throughout the 20th and now 21st centuries, non-aligned nations have sought to create an alternative to this principle of organizing the world from on high. Equality and respect between the nations is the alternative goal, not domination and control. If one digs a little deeper than the mainstream headlines define and would have us accept, as Bob Dylan famously sang, there's a lot happening, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? In- <laughs> inconveniently messing up the simplistic, imperialistic ordering of the world, there are places like Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, Peru, Nicaragua, Bolivia, Afghanistan, and many, many other non-aligned nations. A lot is changing before our eyes, and as we try to find our way through the huge forest before us, as our guest today, Patrick Lawrence, writes, Note the acorn, await the oak. This is how we ought to view our moment. Another brilliant comment from our friend Patrick Lawrence. Thanks for being back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Oh, it's great to be back, Bert. It's been a while. A pleasure to talk. Well, his new article on Scrum is titled A Post-American Order, the, new, the Non-West's New Internationalism. Patrick Lawrence, after many years as a correspondent abroad, chiefly for the International Herald Tribune, writes a foreign affairs column for Consortium News and, with two colleagues, publishes The Scrum on Substack. He recently finished his sixth book and is beginning his seventh. He counts somebody else's century, East and West, in a post-Western world, and Time No Longer, America After the American Century, uh, from Pantheon and Yale, respectively, the best of his books, which I would highly recommend. You can follow Patrick on Twitter at The Flautist and support his work via Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. His website is patricklawrence.us. Well, Patrick Lawrence, good to be here again. A lot to talk about. The U.S. Yeah. The U.S. has had designs on Cuba since the so-called Civil War, when the Confederacy looked to expand its territory to that large island to its south. Then it became a playground for American organized crime until 1959, when Fidel Castro led a successful revolution. 
and its success in education and medicine made it a leader among other non-aligned nations. That seemed to bother some powers in Washington. <laughs> in 2021, mainstream news media reported on an eruption of protests in the streets of Cuba. What was purposely incomplete about what we saw on American TV? What we saw on TV was uh, put across as a as a groundswell of uh, dissent and uh, dissatisfaction with conditions in Cuba, which are not very good economically, and the uh, the virus has hit them very hard. Yes. Uh, there's no question of that. Uh, uh, but a very large reason why conditions are so poor is the sanctions we have had in place for what are we talking about now? Uh, 60 years? I don't know, 61 to um, 2021. But what was going on there um, that was not made visible to us is that uh, uh, Washington has been uh, uh, attempting to subvert the Cuban uh, government for a long time, most recently by way of uh, civil society groups and uh, funding, <coughs> covert funding um, for, you know, um, local NGOs and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. In, in this case, uh, they settled on uh, the unlikely recipients were a group of disaffected uh, artists, hip hop people, and all that, oh. uh, in a district of Havana called San Isidro. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and um, uh, this is the background. Here is uh, the coup function in uh, Washington has shifted. In, in the old days, uh, the CIA goofy years of the CIA with Alan Dulles in charge were, came up with, you know, putting an exploding cigar in uh, Castro's humidor. Uh, mm. uh, my favorite of all these were, um, uh, we didn't like Sukarno either, and my favorite of all these was uh, the CIA made a, a porn film uh, starring a Sukarno lookalike. Uh, <laughs> Um, and got it distributed around Indonesia. Yeah. Very strange, but the coup function is now shifted. It's right. it's now it's now uh, much less visible, much less dramatic, uh, m much more uh, uh, apple pie in appearance. Uh, um, uh, civil society groups, quotation marks, pr promoting democracy in other countries. Right. Uh, I urge your listeners to understand what's being said here when these sorts of phrases are tossed around. Uh, it's a it's another form of coup uh, operation, and I I completely repudiate the term re regime change. Oh, uh, so that's what was going on, uh, and we were giving uh, millions, uh, believe it or not, millions of dollars to. Um, this uh, San Isidro movement for several years, uh, uh, and the moment arrived, uh, and um, there were indeed protests, uh, 
and Cubans do indeed have a, a very great deal to be dissatisfied with yes. uh, uh, or about. Um, but the, the protests were not nearly as large as they were portrayed uh, uh, on television and in the newspapers and wire services. Uh, uh, from what one can make out, the much larger protests were, were counter-demonstrations um, uh, staged spontaneously by those uh, who favored the revolution. So it, it seemed like Biden and the media, because, I mean, let's face it, they, they don't get do, like to do a lot of work. They like to have it easy. They seem to buy into the promoted picture that uh, this was about trying to overthrow the government of Cuba. And, and you said, you know, after the San, uh, San Isidro movement, after it's had its day in the Cuban sun of equal trans significance is what transpired in the days after that. This so, is so interesting, yeah. Go ahead, tell us about that. And, and uh, well, what was it really uh, about? Were they trying to, you know, overthrow the government? Um, the San Isidro people? Yeah. I, I really don't know what their intentions were. Uh, that's what they were, you know, they were, they were well, they were put forward as demanding their rights, right? Mm -hmm. Demanding their freedoms and so forth. What, what, what did, what was Biden's phrase? The, we have heard the clarion call of freedom. Yes. Look, these these guys were uh, these guys were were rich with funds from the National Endowment for Democracy and the, and. Uh, USAID, the Agency for International Development, make no mistake. Uh, I urge your listeners: these are these are are highly potent, uh, uh, insidious organizations by and large. Um, what happened after that was so impressive. Uh, it's perhaps the big reason we're talking. Uh, uh, a, a number of countries. Well. What happened immediately afterwards was the Biden uh, administration imposed yet more sanctions on Cuba, right? mm. uh, um, strangling them. It's getting to look like one of Pompeo's uh, maximum pressure campaigns, right? Uh, um, uh, and what happened then was was just, uh, you know, it was there was a certain uplift in it. One can't deny this. Uh, I think the first move was uh, the first move was who, Bert? It's in the piece. Um, Mexico uh, uh, announced uh, uh, Obrador. Yes. Uh, Lopez Obrador. Yes. Announced Amo. that he was sending uh, two cargo ships of food and medical supplies to Cuba. This is a couple of days after Biden in, imposed more sanctions and applauded the clarion call and all that, right? And then Russia did the same thing. And then Nicaragua did the same thing. Uh, this is what prompted my column, and I wanted to convey the, uh, the depth of, you know, this is sort of the most recent manifestations of something that's been uh, gathering momentum for some years now. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, it goes to this th thought of that you 
mentioned in your uh, pre precede, uh the the uh, the gathering awareness of the non-Western world taking its uh, destiny into its own hands. Uh, I just love what I'm. I just love what we're looking at, and um, uh, you know the the important nations here are Russia and China. Um, I have a few things to say about their oh, we'll get imperial there. aspirations in a minute, uh, but it's going on all over the place. the The Iranians are selling oil to uh, Venezuela, or maybe I don't know whether what the terms are. They might be giving them oil uh, to Venezuela in direct contravention of American sanctions and in direct response to uh, the collapse of the Venezuelan oil industry. China is purchasing Iranian oil. It goes on from here, right? Russia, Sino-Russian relations, which I mentioned in the piece. Uh, yeah. There's something going on here, uh, you know, as you quoted good old Bobby D. Uh, uh, and it's really important, I think, at this moment that we understand what this is. Uh, it takes some effort because our mainstream newspapers and broadcasters are not going to tell us about this. Yeah, so it seems. And you, you mentioned uh, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Yeah. AMLO is his uh, thing. He, the birthday of Mesoamerican hero Simon Bolivar is an important day, and that was July 26th, just very recently. Yes. And AMLO announced an initiative to build something similar to the European Union. What is its goal, and how does this fit, fit into the theme of your article? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the major, the primary institution uh in in Latin America in the western hemisphere i suppose we must say uh uh of of a european union sort is called the organization of american states the oas it is headquartered in washington let's not forget these little details uh the primary uh funding for the organization is american um, and if you look just a little below the surface, it's perfectly plain that Washington commandeered this organization a very long time ago, more or less appoints the director general and uh, all senior officials. Uh, and it's an instrument of American foreign policy posing as, you know, a, a, a multilateral organization of the order of uh, of the order of the European Union, um, and uh, it's very suffocating. You know, they uh, recent examples of OAS troublemaking. Uh, um, we have in in Bolivia uh, uh, not so long ago uh, uh, the um, uh, Evo Morales was was ousted as yes. uh, president. Uh, and the OAS came in and certified that the elections were corrupted and so on and so forth. Well, it turns out that they were not. This is now established um, uh, by way of uh, scrupulous investigations by credible research organizations. Uh, 
that's established, but we haven't read about it, of course. But that's what the OAS does, right? Uh, in consequence of that, it gave cover to um, the um, the conservative yeah. right in Bolivia. So, but eventually, um, the conservative right was uh, defeated by uh, yeah, and they're now in prison. Um, bless them. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Bolivians had another election, and they and they reelected. They not elected. They, they elected uh, Evo's uh, yeah, um, successor yes. by a resounding margin in the first round. Right. Yes, uh, they um, anyway, that's the OAS, and AMLO comes along and says, "Look, it really is time that we had our organization." I loved his language. Uh, our identity, our uh, history, our reality, right? These are, these are all three splendid notions, Bert, you know? Uh, so a new organization like that. Um, look, it, it will be a long time coming. Uh, Washington is not going to let the OAS uh, go by the boards uh, gently, uh, <laughs> It has a lot of leverage, uh, mostly uh, mostly by way of coercion uh, uh, in Latin America. Yet, it's, well, you know, but it, this is this is the acorn I mentioned in yes, my lead paragraph, yes. right? Yes, and if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is called "Keeping Democracy Alive." And we're speaking with uh, our guest, uh, Patrick Lawrence, who's written an article, A Post-American Order, the Non-West's New Internationalism. And, and, you know, once it starts, yes, there's a tremendous resistance to it, as we've seen again and again and again. I mean, heck, go way back to, to Vietnam, wanting its independence from France. And they fought and fought and fought. And eventually that acorn grew into a united Vietnam, which they could have had a heck of a lot earlier, and they were trading with now. But uh, it seems like what what uh, Obrador is uh, suggesting and what uh, the non-aligned nations are pushing for, it's really hard. You're right. It's going to be a long time coming. And right. ever since Truman launched the very profitable Cold War, presidents have campaigned on who looks tougher on the godless communist conspiracy the two bad guys, Russia and China, despite the oversimplification, have hardly been united. Well, what's new in the 20s, 20s is that, as you say, quote, Sino-Russian rela uh, relations wax ever closer to a declared alliance to a large extent in response to U.S. conduct. Well, I wonder if you could explain that and how are, are they yeah. the new imperialists? Uh, yeah, the no, they are not emphatically. I, I want to take that. Uh, I want to take that topic up as, uh, you know, absolutely full frontal. Um, this the Soviet Union and uh, and China split in in fifty six when Khrushchev uh, made his very famous de-Stalinization de uh, speech. Uh, 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 Mao took a, a great exception to that and um, uh, cast. Uh, these were two different interpretations of of Marxism Leninism. Okay, uh, and uh, Mao, uh, who wanted nothing to do with peaceable relations with the Western world at that time, uh, 
uh, recast the Soviets as revisionists, the famous term. Uh, and um, Beijing and Moscow had very, very sour relations for decades. That's, yes. it, was to, it was to take advantage of that split, the Sino-Soviet split, of course, that Kiss, Kissinger and Nixon uh, reckoned with extraordinary savvy that they could, uh, that they could um, uh, uh, make an, uh, a diplomatic advance to China um, to uh, to Washington's benefit, because remember the the arch enemy then was the Soviet Union. Okay, right. well uh, we know what happened. Uh, it was an extraordinary stroke in 20th century diplomacy. Uh, but the Cold War is over now, and uh, uh, what we're watching at the moment is. Uh, Russia and the Russian Federation and the People's Republic recognizing uh, at last that they really do have a lot in common in their post-communist phases, somewhat in response to American conduct uh, and animosity toward both countries. Uh, I date this, uh, the first, one of the first signs of this was in 2014, it gets interesting here. Okay. Um, the uh, the Americans cultivated the coup in uh, Ukraine in February of 2014. Your, your listeners may remember oh, yeah. uh, an enormously, you know, a, a boldly hostile move on the part of uh, the Obama administration. Joe Biden, by the way, holding the Ukraine portfolio at the time. And um, uh, Putin was completely shocked, of course. Uh, 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 that's when he reannexed uh, Crimea. Um, uh, and uh, three months, two, three months later, uh, Russia and China s signed uh, in Shanghai, they signed uh, possibly the largest natural gas deal in history, a $400 billion transaction. Uh, to me, that was uh, one of the anchor agreements uh, announcing the the announcing the the kind of let me use a silly term the sort of neo amity uh, renewed friendship between the two countries um, uh, and uh, it, uh, neither of them is looking for uh, hostile tie, hostile relations with the West, but they are uh, acting in response to Washington's insistence that relations will be hostile, if you see the distinction. Right. Now, I want to mention something here, Bert, if I may have yes, a please. little more time. Go right ahead. Um, and, and that is the... Uh, the, the uh, the proposition that Russia and China have imperial uh, aspirations and um, um, I intentions to dominate, etc. Uh, I, I, I urge your listeners to recognize that uh, territorial dominion and um, um, imperial possessions and all that are 19th century technologies uh, uh, 
quite specifically identified with the West. And what we tend to do, a big mistake on our part, we tend to project, okay, well, when we became powerful, we wanted empires. Therefore, with the emergence of uh, newly powerful nations such as China, they must want an empire. It's, uh-huh. There's no such straight line. There's no such equation. Uh, um, I, I rather pointedly noted uh, Joe on Lai's five principles um, uh, hatched in the early 50s. The, the People's Republic was but a few years old. Uh, uh, I, I, I reject any notion that uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, uh, idealistic or foolish to assert that China has not lived by those principles. It has, and it does. Uh, uh, neither does Russia have any particular designs on other countries. It has, an, it has a, a, a great awareness and anxiety about what goes on uh, across its western borders. That's sure. true. Oh, of course. Um, but uh, my old friend Stephen Cohen, no longer with us, used to say, let's not talk about spheres of influence anymore. That's 19th century. Let's talk about spheres of security, right? Uh, that's different. Uh, and, I, and so I think with what we have to watch when, uh, with the emergence of, of the non-West broadly, uh, you know, numerous countries, South Africa, India, Iran, and Brazil, and so on, uh, and the large powers, China, Russia, India, um, what we have to watch is their intentions uh, are, are much more closely identified with the early post-war years and and the rise of the non-aligned movement, not in, in any way wishing to duplicate the the uh, hegemonic ambitions mm-hmm. of of the very nations they just uh, shook free from. Indeed, well, and obviously it's it's very convenient to to see, you know, bad guys. It's us against them. We're imperialist. Nobody wants to admit that. So they must be as well. We have to fight against them. You know, and that, that reductiveness is reassuring to a lot of people. But let's look at what China's doing in Africa now. They have this massive Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, yeah. Are they, is that not imperialist? What is, can, can those countries maintain their sovereignty? What, what are they uh, are they seeking to expand it into Syria and Iran? What about that Belt and Road Initiative? The motivations there? Well, anyone who wishes to put that forward as an as an attempt by China to dominate another country would have to step forward with some evidence supporting that assertion. Um, what the Chinese are doing, uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. Some of them purely uh, to do with uh, domestic economic conditions. China has a lot of overcapacity, and it has a lot of underemployment, um, and it has a, a, a rather formidable uh, 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 capital surplus. It's deploying those overseas, right? That's 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 the kind of 
base reason for it all. Uh, it also has uh, a vision for a united Eurasian landmass, and that's what Belt and Road's all about. Uh, again, uh, you have to be careful what you, where you from from what uh, well you draw your impressions of BRI. Uh, um, you can read anywhere you wish that this is, uh, as you say, Bert, uh, you know, uh, an instance of Chinese uh, imperialism and all that. Uh, it's really nothing of the kind. I've spoken to Africans about this. Uh, you know, you you go to Africa and down some dusty dirt road, there's a a, a big gleaming textile factory or something, right? Uh, or a, or a ballpoint fen factory, or uh, you know they're building a railroad uh, somewhere in Kenya, I think, right? Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm really hard pressed to. It, it, it's just too. It, it's it's an impossible leap to say this is this is an attempt to compromise a Kenyan sovereignty or Nigerian sovereignty. It's ridiculous, right? Uh, Another charge, we may as well go into it just briefly, is that these are debt traps, you know, that the countries that uh, the countries that are accepting, uh, contracting for Belt and Road projects are, are, are cascading into, into deep wells of debt they'll never get out of. Uh, I really do have to step back and say, what nerve? I mean, uh, my... My early years as a correspondent, I reported on numerous different things, but one of them was the desperate debt traps uh, uh, Asian nations found themselves in in consequence of uh, International Monetary Fund, right. World Bank, AID, uh, et cetera, et cetera, funding, right, and oh, lending. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. That was the era of... of Loan syndications, right? That was the big technology then was loans, right? Mm. Uh, 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 syndicated loans. The big banks in Hong Kong would would uh, put together a package and, and lend Indonesia $750 million, right? Mm. Uh, um, we want to talk about debt traps. We want to talk about Chinese debt traps. The only reason anybody can get away with any such notion is because it is is the forgetfulness uh, most of us unfortunately share uh, uh, as to as to the post-war decades and what actually went on. Uh, by way of the Bretton Woods institutions. Sorry. Oh, you know, uh, yeah, not at all. I mean, forgetfulness is is what we need. We have to, I mean, we <laughs> we have to erase history that's not convenient to what we want to believe. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Go ahead. look, the Chinese, there's, there are problems with BRI. I, I think there's some overreach. Um, um there are situations where the financing got all mixed up uh, uh, to the disadvantage of uh, the, the, the host country. I'm not talking about this as a spotless program, right? Uh, but uh, Xi Jinping announced it only in, uh, I think, 2013 or 2014 um, and uh, uh, 2000, 2013. Uh, uh, and you know it it was early days they've learned they've uh, 
pulled back some, but they're not collapsing the project. Uh, um, in time, it will take. And you mentioned Syria, Bert. Yes, Goodness please. gracious. Uh, the Chinese are Syria's problem. I beg your pardon. I mean, anybody, you know, I mean, <laughs> we've destroyed the country. Yes. Uh, and Chinese, China is poised um, to participate prominently, probably, in reconstruction efforts once the once the coast is clear and the smoke has <laughs> literally settled. Um, uh, that's not a Syrian problem. That's a Syrian solution. It's up to them. Imagine that. For those who may have just yeah. tuned in, Bert Cohn here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're speaking with uh, Patrick Lawrence about uh, uh, this post-American order, the non-West's new internationalism. And uh, I wonder if you could tell us, please, about the March 21st meeting in Anchorage between Secretary of State Antony Blinken and China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi. How did that affect what you call our fading empire? Well, uh, that was a very eventful week. Um, let me get my days straight here. Uh, I think on uh, Wednesday or Thursday of that week in March, um, uh, Biden went on uh, George Stephanopoulos's program in, uh, on ABC um, and uh, Stephanopoulos threw him a, a well-rehearsed softball, you know. So, do you think? Uh, do you think President Putin? I probably didn't use the title. Do you think Putin is a murderer or maybe killer? Right. And Biden said, uh, "Yes, he's a killer." Right. Um, just a a, a a completely pointless. Uh, unpresidential remark to make what is the what is the purpose of such a comment right well uh, i think it's to look tough you got to look tough that we've been used to yeah, that and exa- it's all for the peanut gallery isn't it it's oh, all absolutely. for people in peoria but <laughs> yes. anyway uh, uh, two days later um uh if i have my calendar correctly uh, uh anthony blinken and um uh, secretary of state and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan had their first exchanges with counterparts in Anchorage. Um, uh, Wang Yi, the foreign minister, uh, leading the Chinese delegation. Uh, um, They chose the venue uh, (laughs) pointedly, Anchorage, Alaska, not exactly... uh, a signal of the priority they're giving to all this and, and held the whole thing. A little detail I, I find so amusing in, in, in the hotel, uh, Captain Cook. Right. <laughs> uh, and, um, it was, it was a disaster. Uh, Blinken, who strikes me as a, a remarkably unimaginative, Secretary of State, given his exquisite education and all that, uh, uh, simply started uh, reciting a, uh, the American catechism of, uh, you know, human rights abuses and d- democratic freedoms and all this, basically just shaking the finger, 
right? Uh, and that's all he had to say, right? Uh, uh, and um, quite remarkably, uh, uh, Wong uh, came back uh, in a way I don't think very many people expected and just threw it back in, in Blinken's face. Um, how dare you uh, lecture us on human rights? Look at your own country, right? Uh, um, and asserted qu quite pointedly, you have no business. Uh, you have no. You have no business p putting your noses into the internal affairs of the People's Republic, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's one of uh, Joe Enlai's principles, indeed, right? Uh, um, and um, it 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 was a moment in in my interpretation. I had columns on it at the time. It, it was it was a moment in in my interpretation when the Russians and the Chinese appear to have decided enough. We have asked the United States to uh, interact with us. Uh, in a condition of parity, and they have repeatedly refused, and we are going not going to bother asking anymore. We are simply going to assert ourselves on that basis. What happened then? Uh, uh, Lavrov, uh, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the uh, Russian foreign minister, mm -hmm. um, flew to Beijing for two days of talks. Uh, about further collaborations between the Russian Federation and the People's Republic. And then Wang Yi flew to Tehran and um, signed uh, a, a long negotiated uh, agreement with Tehran uh, of a 25 year sweeping. 25-year, $400 billion uh, investment accord uh, through which China will assist the Iranians building all manner of infrastructure, uh, railroads, subways, electric, electricity grids, airports, you just name it, wow. right? Uh, which they uh, need. And, yeah, and so this is what, I mean... This is magnitudes larger than a couple of cargo ships being sent to Cuba, important, important as they are, and, and rather moving as they are. Uh, this, is, this is the background to those cargo ships, if you will, right? Uh, um, and, and putting this all together was the reason I decided to sit down and write the column that brings us together this afternoon. Well, I like, you referred to what Joe and Lai called for in back in the 1950s. And those points, as included in your article, were mutual respect for territorial integrity and sovereignty, non-aggression, non-interference in the internal affairs of others, equality, peaceful coexistence. And, and you also mentioned the word parity before, that, you know, that's what these other countries, it seems, would like to have. It, the as the peanut gallery here, you know, the domestic consumption uh, crowd, uh, it's hard to handle it. It's like us versus them. But in this post-American order that we're talking about, 
I, I wonder where we are now on the, on that scale, what Joe and Lai called for as compared to then. Is that goal being picked up more widely? And do you think uh, any yes, America? Go ahead. I, I think so, Bert. I mean, the word parity is is one of my little preoccupations. Uh, it's a good one. I've been convinced for some while that parity between West and non-West is a 21st century imperative. It doesn't matter whether we like the idea or don't like the idea uh, or work for the idea or work against the idea. It's just there. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, uh, uh, and, and what we're seeing post-Anchorage um, is, is the non-West saying, look, uh, we've asked, you've declined, we're going, to take it, we're going to take this responsibility on ourselves. We'll do it, right? Uh, um, and, and that's what I think we're seeing now. And I urge your listeners to recognize this is a very important moment. And I read history into this with a capital H, mm-hmm. right? Uh, sure. This is a very important moment. And it's really terrific to watch it unfold and also to recognize uh, the uh, the very optimistic elements in it, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, many Americans m- might think uh, Patrick Lawrence is uh, is an apostle of American decline and loss, right? Uh, that's not how I see it. I always urge readers to to find the optimism beneath the the. The apparent pessimism. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, the world that we are watching very slowly emerge, which yes. is the topic. Uh, yes. uh, we'll do America a power of good as yeah, it comes absolutely. forward. Our leadership won't accept that, but I greatly hope uh, many Americans do. Well, uh, I, I hope we can get there. And uh, I, I think we're starting to. You know, a lot of people would like history to turn on a dime. It never does. It it, it moves very very slowly, especially when sure. our leaders, you know, drag their feet and and have to be uh, dragged kicking and screaming into the current area because it's so much more familiar, the old stuff. Many decades, yeah. many decades ago, what used to be the considered the far right, the John Birch Society, has hated. United Nations. The fear of a world not run by America hasn't gone away. You say a new order among nations does not imply some kind of Orwellian Oceania, a globally homogenized superstate, end of quote. While nationalism, the idea that my nation is better than yours, is something whose time continues to fade, let's hope, what about the role of the nation-state in the post-American order that is emerging? Does it still have a place? Or is the globally homogenized superstate, uh, is, is that the only alternative? And, and Just talk about that, if you would, please. Sure, sure. Uh, well, it's it's been fashionable for a good long while now to suggest that uh you know the nation state is uh, is an outdated technology and we need to move beyond that and the european union is an example of where we need to go etc cetera, etc cetera, right uh, um <clears throat> i'm not really with that uh parallel to that are uh is a long discourse uh, having to do with cosmopolitanism okay uh um and and i think those two are quite closely related um 
I learned what I know about cosmopolitanism from a scholar named Timothy Brennan, who was a a student and then close friend of Edward Said's, right? Uh, And in his book on the topic uh, and uh, various papers he published on it, uh, he he made me realize that uh, cosmopolitanism is a perfect companion as 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 uh, virtuous as it may sound, uh, is a perfect companion for neoliberal economic orthodoxies. Um, uh, this is this is the this is the orthodox economic model, the Washington Consensus, or whatever you wish to call it, and uh, the world will all live by it, right? Uh, uh, and we will all sort of homogenize and um, uh, etc. Et, et, et okay, we can move from there. Uh, and um, it, it made me realize that the nation state, for all its numerous defects, uh, um, is is a point of reference for people through which they can derive an identity, right? Uh, through which they can, through which there are institutions and mechanisms uh, they can use to make their voices heard uh, and uh-huh. not get lost, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm kind of with Tim Brennan on that point. Uh, um, and when we're talking about, I mean, jump cut here a little bit. Uh, What we're witnessing now, uh, in my view, is is something new and also a resumption, right? Uh, I have a big Uh thing about the independence era. Yes. By that, we mean the time between... uh, India's independence in 47 up through the 60s somewhere mm-hmm. uh, some well over a hundred nations became independent and the empires were done away with the major empires were yes. done away with uh, peaceably or otherwise <laughs> right uh, this was a very stirring time uh, mm-hmm. when the great leaders uh, of that era um, I have my four ends, Nehru, mm-hmm. and Kuma and Ghana, Nasser, and Julius Nereri in Tanzania, uh, Sukarno, Lumumba, Lumumba yes. et cetera, right? Uh-huh. Uh, these were really larger-than-life people, Very none without flaws, right. uh, um, none, uh, none blessed with papal infallibility. <laughs> but they thought, their, their visions of how humanity could live one cannot one would have to be a complete cretin not not to be moved by by the by what they represented and stood for uh um and that was all extinguished uh when uh truman as you noted earlier announced the cold war and the world became binary and you're with us or we're with the, you're you're yeah. with them yeah. uh and the non-aligned movement is is 
so much bunkum. It's it, they're all crypto communists <laughs> or dupes. You know that's how we that's how we dismissed uh, NAM, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so it was it was thoroughly obscured, and as I said in the column, al- almost extinguished. But what did we have after ninety one? Uh, after the after this after the Cold War finally uh, uh, ended. Uh, a, a, a sort of magnificent uh, return to exactly what was going on before the Cold War, mm. uh, uh, exactly what non-aligned uh, resisted, uh, um, and you know, an East-West alignment, right? Uh, and I think that's what we're witnessing now. It's new, but uh, as I mentioned in the column, I, I take some reassurance from the fact that we've been here before. Um, it's kind of sad to think about world leaders now uh, uh, and put them up against the the names I mentioned just a moment ago. Yeah. We have Havel, we have uh, Mandela, uh, but but these are exceptions. You know, our our leaders now are they're so terribly disappointing. Uh, but uh, and and rather low horizon, you know. There, you know, no vision. Uh, well, every um, now and then, that the people lead yeah. and the leaders follow. It it has happened, and it. I think in that uh, that independence. It's a great saying, isn't it? Oh, it is. And and during that independence era, it did. And we had some terrific leaders back then. And as you're right, we couldn't handle it. The, the only way we could handle it is to call them communist dupes. And as the Cold War model demonstrates, there's a lot of money to be made by the old military industrial complex yeah. by maintaining an old familiar stance, even if it all yeah. inevitably falls apart, at least the money's made. Doesn't that interest still overpower the post-empire trend you see? What, the the interests of uh, the money interest and in, uh, yeah the military industrial complex well certainly it's there certainly it's there um, yeah uh, but you know AMLO said something remarkable when he uh, made a speech in in behalf of this new institution he favors for Latin America mm-hmm. it will be difficult and I'm sure I sound like an idealist he said I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but if you don't have ideals, where are you? Uh-huh. How do you get anything done, right? Um, um, you know, I I I, I think uh, we have to look at our circumstances now uh, squarely, uh, but we must not miss the direction of things. Uh, difficult as as it may be to discern it, because of our. Uh, shortcomings and corruptions of our press, but it's there if you look. Uh, that's what that column was all about—a tiny little, modest little list, right? Uh, I want to mention another situation here. It's the elephant in the living room. Uh, uh, our defeat in Afghanistan, our failure in Afghanistan, uh, is is entirely related to. I yes. wrote that column a couple of weeks before. Uh, but it's an entirely related to this. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a perfect case of, uh, in, it's an American failure, and we have to find it within ourselves to celebrate this American failure, because as long as the people running American foreign policy 
are permitted to do so in more or less sequestration from the public, uh, um, we must wish failure upon them. Uh, there's there's optimism in that. I, I'm I'm delighted about Afghanistan. It's a mess, but uh, right. and I'm not so pessimistic about what the Taliban has in mind. Parenthetically, uh, um, they they are so, not they are know, not Al Qaeda. They are not ISIS. They perhaps are smart enough to realize that their image in the world is kind of important. And I'm getting the sense that exactly. that they are exactly. And and you know all these organizations, uh, uh, Hezbollah and others. Uh, you know the record is the record is blotted, no question. But organizations evolve, you know, and um, Taliban is now organi- organizations evolve in in part because of the responsibilities uh, <laughs> these sort of organizations begin to assume. Absolutely, right? Uh, yes. uh, the Iran today is not the Iran of the early eighties. Uh, Hezbollah today is not the Hezbollah of yesteryear, and um, and Taliban has come out, I think, rather intelligently and said, look, uh, we are going to govern according to Sharia law, um, uh, but uh, women who wish to work can work. We want women in government. Women who wish to be educated will be educated. There will be no reprisals, uh, Taliban being Sunni. Uh, Mm-hmm. We we will we will uh, uh, we will launch no persecutions of Shiites and so on, and I think you hit a great point just now, Bert. Right? Number one, I think the Taliban's come along over the years, uh, and number two, um, they're per- perfectly aware of um, uh, uh, of the fact that they're going to need friends. They they want to run a nation, not a not a they don't want to be another you know they don't want to be a pariah right uh um and so i you know your point is very well taken you know they uh, now they get a chance to govern and that's a, a more difficult task i will say uh than yeah, bomb now about that <laughs> <laughs> uh we can do it i i i, I get the sense that you know, I, I have some degree of optimism that, you know, once we break I'm glad away... I share it with you. Once yeah. we break away from this binary world that the, uh, you know, what, what Joe and Lai called for, you know, mutual respect, uh, parity, uh, the world can function a bit better. Now, it means less money for the military-industrial complex. Well, boo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to mention sure. uh, the, the distinction, the, 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 the rather... Uh, say rather sad difference between the public the american public during the vietnam war and the american public over the last 20 years of the afghanistan campaign okay uh you and i are of of an age we we understand very well uh what a great difference it made what a great difference uh, american public opinion American voices made then, and I find it a little bit of a drag to think about what happened after that. Uh, We all seem to have gone to sleep, and uh, uh, we numbed ourselves, or were numbed. uh, um, American society somewhat atomized, and so on, all those 
sociological. Well, they wanted us to believe we are powerless. They wanted to accept. Yeah, and so our silence these past 20 years, I I think it made a big difference. I I think it made a big difference in how long that war lasted. Uh, And my point here, um, upside down to this, is we need to regain our, we need to refine our voices. We need yes. to reoccupy the village green, so to speak. Amen. Uh, and, and, and concern and, and awaken our slumbering civic selves, you know? Uh, Absolutely. And well, we can do it. Look, we uh, can do it. Yes. All this is all, all of what's happened is, is humanly ordained, uh, and humans can make change anytime they choose to. Yes, right? we uh, can. I, I have to uh, end it here. The time is up. Our guest has been Patrick Lawrence. Uh, the article on Scrum was titled The Post-American Order, the Non-West New Internationalism. Books, uh, Somebody Else's Century, East and West in a Post-Western World, and Time No Longer, America After the American Century. And his website is patricklawrence.us, coming out with a new book soon. Look forward to seeing that. Thank, Thank you, so you Bert. We just published uh, an Afghanistan commentary called And Now? Question mark. Uh-huh. Your have... readers get published just a couple hours ago. Your listeners can have a look if they wish. All right. A pleasure to join you again, Bert. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Let's keep up the optimism. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. There's a new world coming, and it's just around the bend. There's a new world coming. This one's coming to an end. There's a new A new